Welcome to Episode 3 of Networks That Work, a podcast series focusing on social capital, our connections, networks, and relationships, and the value that arises from them. In this episode, Beyond Icebreakers, How to Help Participants Really Connect, we explore how programs help participants build deep, positive, interpersonal relationships that improve individual and community outcomes. We also learn about the benefits of hiring alumni and others with similar life experiences and how that enables program participants to more easily develop trust and rapport with staff. We'll hear the conversation between Anita Brown-Graham, director of the NC Impact Initiative, and Sean Pika and Lee Crusetta of Hudson Link for Higher Education in Prison when they connected via Zoom and cell phone during the COVID-19 pandemic. Anita? Welcome to Networks That Work. We're so glad to have you here with us today. And I am particularly excited to be talking with Sean Pika and Lee Crusetta of Hudson Link. I want to start by having the two of you just tell us a little bit about the program you have at Hudson Link. And Sean, we'll start with you. Would you give us a little bit of history, tell us the purpose, and then share your specific roles? Anita, thank you so much. It's an honor for us to be on the call. Um, I'm the executive director. Uh, The program delivers degree-granting college work into five different prisons. We have about 640 men and women in the program. Uh, We serve men and women medium and maximum security facilities. Uh, We have about 700 graduates in 20 years, um, and it is a partnership with the Department of Corrections, the students we serve, and the colleges that interact. We have nine different college partners. Lee, tell us about yourself and your particular role with the program. I'm one of the academic coordinators for Hudson Link for Higher Education in Prison. Um, I coordinate programs in both men's mediums and uh, maximum security facilities in two of our most northern facilities. I'm an alumni of the program. I earned my degree through Hudson Link while I was serving a seven-year sentence. And my day-to-day coordination involves working with the correctional facilities to make sure our schedules are are in order. I work with our colleges as well to make sure our professors have everything that they need to to fulfill their obligations to our students. And most importantly, I'm, I'm there to advise and support the students in any way that I can. In today's episode of Networks That Work, we want to focus on important topics. The first, meaningful relationships in a program and how important it is to hire quality staff who may share similar experiences with program participants. This is a unique uh, program uh, and structure. It is the only degree-granting college program in the country that's run in a prison by formerly incarcerated men and women coordinating classes, work, re-entry. When I think of someone like Lee that's managing a college program, anywhere is difficult. But running a college program in a prison, it's just a whole nother definition of difficult. Uh, and, and it's just an unbelievable uh, way to deliver the services. But our success rates are unprecedented. 
I mean, we have literally a 2% um, recidivism rate or le- less than 2% recidivism rate, which really means a 98% success rate in a country that has a 68% recidivism rate. So, I mean, the work that Lee is doing in the trenches with these schools, with these students, um, it's just been incredible. Amazing. So, Lee, let's turn to you. Um, Sean has clearly positioned you as an important node in this network. You're working with all the stakeholder groups, including, perhaps most importantly, directly with the students. Talk to us a little bit about how you get participant buy-in to the program off the bat. How important are your first experiences with these participants as you bring them into the program? Well, ownership of the program is is the foundation of of a successful program. Um, you know, being a formerly incarcerated coordinator, I, I mean, I have students on my rosters that I lived with for years that uh, were my next door neighbors that I went to church with every Sunday for six, seven years. Um, these guys know how I am and how I lived on the inside and and what I'm trying to accomplish for them on the inside again. And it's that right in itself carries so much uh, credibility with my students. They know that I'm not just talking. I'm not just uh, someone coming from the outside to another authority figure to, to make them do something. I'm someone who's been there, who sat in the same hard chairs in 95 degree weather in the summer, who sweated with them and, 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 you know, went through all the rigors of of being inside to accomplish a a, a goal of getting a degree inside. So once you start getting guys to buy into your program, that takes your program to the next level. It becomes the one motivating factor for every guy in there, uh, what they look forward to every day. When I was in, I looked forward to going to class every night at six o'clock. My, my whole life inside revolved around college. And this is what it becomes to those guys. It becomes the only thing of, of importance, the only thing that can give them a new direction once they go home. And it's also another thing that they can have for their families. You know, it's not just for them. This is something that they cherish because it, it, it shows their families they, they've turned the corner and they're, they're putting in the hard work to become a, someone different, someone who, who will be able to come out and, and be a, 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 a supporting person in, in society. Lee, there's no question that your past and what you have done with your life makes you an immediately credible role model. But I'm curious, what what is a first conversation like with someone who thinks they might want to engage in this program, but really doesn't know that they have what it takes? What is that meaningful first engagement like for you? I'll usually hold a uh, orientation for new students uh, once a year. And I tell them right off the bat that it's a huge commitment. Um, There's a lot of work involved with being a college student. It doesn't come easy. Uh, You know, you have to do your due diligence to, to become a student. But I always let them know that I've been there. I know what it is. It's hard, but I'm here to support you in any way I can. And 
part of uh, advising them academically is just giving them the support that they need. You got to let them know that, they, that they're worthy and that they can do it. That's just part of the role of an academic coordinator. And how often do they meet with their academic coordinator and for what length of time? I see guys on a daily basis. If there's someone that I see is having a, an issue or they write to me and they want to uh, sit down and talk, I'll put them on a call out and we can sit down for two, three hours at a time and just talk. Sometimes uh, guys just need to get a couple of things off their chest. Sometimes there's things going on at home that are distracting them from their studies. And like I said, I've been there, done that. It's, it's my job to let them know that they can get through it and I'm there to help them. Lee and I were at the facility maybe a year ago and one of the brand new students potentially thinking about college, um, we were talking about the commitment and, and the homework and, and how hard it is, um, but how rewarding it could also be. And the student looked at us and said, you know, well, how many weeks is the program? There was no one else in his world that had ever gone to college. He didn't associate that this is years of work. So for this young man that comes from a family that no one had ever gone to college, from a community that doesn't traditionally go to college, to say that he was going to commit to something that would take years to accomplish while living through his prison life, this look in his eyes of just, I don't know if I'm ready for that. He's probably at his third semester now doing amazing. But it's opening up so many different doors for him aside from what happens to his academic college work. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about the richness of your engagement with your program participants. I mean, I'm sort of blown away at how often they have access to their academic advisor and the fact that the conversations go beyond, no, college is not a couple of weeks, it's years, to here's what's on my mind, here are some personal things that might be troubling me. I, I want to turn to you, Sean, because it's hard to imagine after hearing Lee talk about his credibility, how this program would work if you didn't have people who had shared experiences with your program participants. But how did that idea come about? How did that get started? As I sat there in the back of a classroom with the older guys that already had their degrees, with the prison administration brainstorming about how to create a college program while these guys did not have access to a phone, the internet, a fax machine, they had no money, they didn't have a college interested. And I watched them as they built a college program and it was just an incredible, I mean, for me as a community organizer today, uh, it is the grassroots epitome of creating something out of nothing. And just like Sean, you know, there's always the old timers that are there to support you and, and kind of guide you through the program. And uh, one of the facilities that I cover has a huge population uh, of 18 to 25 year old um, kids. And uh my, my most of my older guys that have been in the program for two or three years that I've kept on, um, even after graduation, they, they serve such a great purpose. Um, you know, they'll take an, an upper level course, but they recruit for me. Uh, they go around and they see all the younger guys that I don't get a chance to see. And they, you know, they pull them to the side and they, you know, sometimes you see something in someone and you just know that they have what it takes to, to be a, a great student and, and to come out of this. This does not define the rest of your life. We all make mistakes. 
you need to take take advantage of what's being offered to you so that when you walk out of here, you have a whole different window of, of, of opportunities available to you where you'll never have to make any other mistakes again in your life in the sense of committing a crime. These guys, they spend hours a day in that classroom racking their brains. These guys become their own community in there. And, and before you know it, these guys are, are supporting one another. They become a, a, such a cohesive unit and, and no one wants to see someone left behind. And that becomes the basis of, of their purpose inside. I'm going to now ask each of you to offer some advice to other program directors who want to learn from and build on what you have done so successfully at Hudson Link. First question to you, Sean, how do you go about identifying and preparing the right um, former participants to now serve as staff? Wow. I, I feel like it's a calling. So as students engage, start going through the program, I remember from day one, Lee was very supportive of the other students. There was a service uh, advisory committee that was the voice of the entire student body. Um, and he was always uh, very responsible, uh, very respectful in that role that he played with the other students, with our current staff. Um, and then as he went to graduation and moved on to continue with his education, he was just always engaged. So when he was released from prison, he was still invested and involved with our programming, looking to volunteer. I think he was courting us as opposed to the other way around. And we see that over and over, myself included. When I got out of prison, the halfway house that I went to was right by the Hudson Inc. office. I just naturally wanted to run errands and stuff envelopes to give back to an organization that gave me a second chance at life. And that's the kind of vibe Lee's wife has sent me messages over and over saying, hey, Sean, just want to touch base and say thanks again as if we're not the ones that were blessed with Lee working with us, like it's the other way around. It's a blessing. And we love that we have a chance to uh, do this work and give back. I mean, let's face it, it, the two decades that I spent in prison were supposed to leave a huge black heart in my body. It was supposed to destroy me. It's not meant to support you or lift you up or give you a second chance. So to be able to make it through those years, come home and take that horrible negative experience and use that experience to help others. It's a gift. Wow. Lee, you've talked passionately about what happens when peers interact and build a supportive network. You've also made clear that it, it helps if the program is paying attention to that. To my question about meaningful engagement with participants. And clearly you make that job number one for yourself. What indicators would you suggest people look for to determine whether the relationship they're building with their program participants really is meaningful? Well, for one, you'll see that guys are, are attending classes for me, the college program became my life. Everything revolved around 
being in school. I would even tell my wife, listen, I can't have visits on this, this, this day because I have a paper to do or I have a study hall that I have to attend. And you'll see that that becomes the, the, the driving factor behind all these guys. You know, school becomes number one. They're no longer out in the yard running around, getting in trouble. Uh, you know, they, they follow the rules because they know they need to follow the rules to stay in the program. They, you know, become more available to, to their, their classmates. And those, those are the things that you start to see. And not only that, I've seen guys that have come up through our pre-college program who could barely write. And within a year, you read some of their papers and it just brings teeth to your eyes to see how far they've come. And when you start seeing that, I mean, you sit with them and you see, you, you show them, look, this was your first paper and look at where you're at now. And sometimes that's all they need to see to realize their worth and how far they've come. Lee, I'm just thinking about this past summer, the graduation at Sullivan, where you where you graduated from years before. Um, we were waiting for the commissioner of corrections to arrive to start the graduation. And we were standing there with uh, some of the professors, the president of the college, they were in their regalia. Um, the students were in caps and gowns, the families were milling around. There was just this excitement of you know preparing to, to start a graduation. Um, and as we were moving towards the front of the room, uh, you walked away with the students and the staff and I was standing there with some of the parents and the father turned to me and said, Hey, what is my son's degree going to really say? Cause these were parents that we've all let down for years and years. And now his son telling him, no dad, I'm in, I'm in college. Can it really be true? The father saying to himself, is this real? And I turned to him and said, this is the same diploma on the same paper signed by the same president with the same coursework and the same textbook as they're getting on a traditional campus. This is the real deal. And 34% of our students through Hudson Lane have gone on to graduate work. That's, a, that's an impressive number in any community. And he just looked at me and he was just, you saw he was so moved and so grateful because he just expected that it couldn't be real. Is his son really in prison about to go to college and graduate and have a second chance at life? It was just an incredible opportunity. And then Lee, of course, you were the keynote speaker that year, which just was the icing on the cake. What? strikes me as incredibly profound in what you both said is you know the engagement is meaningful when participants are committed to the program outcomes that the process has gotten them to a place where they believe they can make it happen and they do what it takes even missing visits with their wife that's that's pretty amazing Sean, is there any last closing thought that you would like to leave us with? I just can't help but think that we have now become the model, that we've now helped other states replicate, um, that we're now uh, creating reentry services and housing, and, and we have a con new construction initiative that all of this has been about serving a student in a way that they've not been served in the past. You know, we don't want to tell our nine different college partners that it's not about college, but I feel like there's so much happening here that is not college related between creating leaders in a community that 
typically have been voiceless, giving them this voice and this new opportunity to express themselves, to think about their future in way different ways than they've ever had in the past. Um, 86% of these students know that their peers have become social services uh, members and caseworkers and social workers and coordinators, and 34% have gone on to graduate school, that we know that in all of this stuff, that college is merely the vehicle that they are getting to a very different finish line than they've ever thought they would have. And as we think about how this has impacted the the college student in this prison environment and shifted the cultures of notorious maximum security prisons, we also know that this is just really about serving one student one degree at a time. And while we know that this rippling effect is going all the way back to the communities that we were serving, it's done in such a beautiful way. You got to give guys the space to um, come together and grow together while, while they, especially while they're, you know, getting a college degree on the outside is, is an amazing feat. Doing it on the inside is that much more amazing. And, um, you know, you have to, you have to be there to support the guys in any way you can. Like I said, sometimes, you know, I'm an administrator. Half the time, I'm just a counselor. I'm just someone to sit there and talk to, uh, someone who, who knows exactly what they're going through and can talk to them and, and let them know uh, that, you know, they have what it takes to, to succeed. And, you know, sometimes it's just a, a matter of giving them the right words to kind of motivate them and, uh, you know, kind of open up their eyes to to who they are and, and what they're capable of. So I, that's that's to me is is key to, to any successful program, as well as as helping those guys build their community inside. Lee and Sean, it has been a delight to be with you, to learn from you. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Networks That Work. Please join us for all three episodes featuring ways to build social capital. For more information on this topic, you may also visit ASPE's social capital landing page. It features case studies, research products, lodging models, and other tools. I'm Anita Brown-Graham, and you're listening to Networks That Work. Thank you again for listening to Networks That Work, a podcast about the networks and relationships that make up social capital. This is episode three of a three-part series. To listen to all of our podcasts, go to Networks That Work, wherever you listen to your podcasts.